Shalom, welcome to Tanakh Study. This is Alex Israel from Alon Shvut. Delighted to be with you. And we are going to be today studying Perak Tetvav, the Brit Ben Habatarim, um, chapter 15. This is our fourth shear on Parashat Lech Lecha. And today we're going to study the Brit Ben Habatarim, the covenant between the pieces, which is really uh, one of the more enigmatic cryptic, strange parashiot of the Avraham stories. And it all begins, After these things, the word of God came to Avram in a vision to tell him, Do not be afraid, Avram, I will protect you. Your reward is very great. After what things? There seems to be a connection between this story and the previous story. I'd say more than that. God tells him, I will protect you. I am your protector. And in the previous story, we had Malki Tzedek talking about The word magain, that God that God delivered your enemies in your hands, he protected you in war. What exactly is the connection between this story and the last? Whichever way, Altira Avram says God, do not be fearful. And uh, you don't say Altira unless somebody is scared, uh, somebody is in a state of crisis. And I, I would say that in this story, Avram really is in a state of crisis. And I, I, we can prove it from the next Pasuk. God says, don't be afraid. I'll protect you. Your reward is great. And Avram says to God, Hashem Elohim, Mati Teini Ariri. What are you going to give me? And I am, uh, I I don't have a child. By the way, he says Anochi Holech Ariri, using that verb Lech. I was meant to be Lech Lecha, and I was meant to be blessed. But now I am Holech Ariri. I am Lechin. I am going to a place where I am childless. And the only person in my uh, household is Eliezer of Damascus. Uh, what is he going to inherit me? And Avram said, You haven't given me offspring. You haven't given me biological children. And what is going to be the man of my household going to inherit me? You'll notice that in Pasuk Bet and Pasuk Gimel, Vayomer Avram, he said originally, what can you give me? I'm childless. And then in the next verse, Vayomer Avram again. Avram's waiting for a response from God and God doesn't give it. And Avram merely repeats in different words his complaints. He turns around to God and says, I'm childless. The only person I have around me who could possibly take over everything that I have is Eliezer. God, what are you up to? What are you doing? Avram is really in crisis. What what is happening? What led to this crisis? Here we open our Farshim and we see a range of different approaches. Uh, Rashi uh, relates this back to the war of the four and five kings and says that uh, after he had had this great miracle, he's worrying that maybe he already was in mortal danger and was saved from that. Uh, he's been through a battle. And... Uh, if he wants, his merits are used up. He's, he's sort of spent all his credit. 
Um, others talk about what could he be afraid of. He's just defeated four kings. He's worried for reprisals. I have to say, both of these approaches don't really speak to me very much. In regard to this notion of the reward, I don't know if Avram's so worried about the reward and reward and punishment. I, I don't know. I don't also imagine that the four kings are particularly coming back just for Avram. Maybe more to the point here is the Ramban, where the Ramban says, He saw himself getting older. And the prophecies that God had given him weren't coming true. And he thought that it must be his sins who have prevented him from good. And in fact, the Ramban beautifully um, says that that Sadiqim never live in a state of security. And, you know, the Ramban raises the question, why didn't he believe in God's promises and all of that? And he says, Sadiqim are always fearful. They're always fearful that maybe they did something wrong or... Or that possibly they're being uh, held to a very high standard. Avram is fearful. And as we're going to see here, the first thing he challenges God is, I don't have any children. The second thing that he's going to challenge uh, God about is to do with the land. As we can read uh, later on in Pasukhet, And he raises these two questions. The question of Zerah, his future, his offspring, and Eretz, the land. In this chapter, the structure is, is quite uh, powerful because God gives each time a statement of reassurance. In our case, um, I protect you, your reward is great. At which point Avram questions God, he challenges God, he he even you know, really, really pushes God onto how he's going to know that this is true. And this induces God to produce a visual cue, a, a sort of an image or a vision, which is going to reassure Avram. I return back to our original question. Why is Avram suddenly so fearful? So the Rambam might be correct, it's simply his advancing age, but I'd, I'd like to say something more. It's something related to the previous chapter. You see, the previous chapter uh, raises two huge questions. I think Avram sneakily in his mind always thought that Lot could indeed be his heir. It was very accepted in the Middle East that your nephew would be your heir. He keeps on always talking about how um, Lot is his brother. And when when he's told about Lot being captured in in, in Saddam, it says that he's told, Ki However, through the previous story, even after Saddam is attacked and even after Lot is captured, Avram probably anticipated that after he'd shown such kindness to Lot, Lot would return back with him and rejoin the clan. But Lot is not interested. As I mentioned last uh, in last class, Lot doesn't even we don't hear even a conversation between Avram and Lot. And Lot shows he is back with Saddam. He goes back to live in Saddam. He is finished with Avram. And suddenly the penny drops and Avram realizes. Lot, there is just no way that Lot is going to be his future. And that's why the first question here is, I have no one 
The only person I have is Damesek Eliezer, Eliezer from Damascus, who is Ben Meshek Beiti, who runs my family business. There is such a thing of a servant inheriting his master in the Middle East, but that's clearly not what Avram wanted. The second question, I think, relates to deeper doubts. Uh, we said that this parasha begins with Al-Tira Avram, Avram, don't be fearful. And I think Avram's scared for the following reason. At the end of chapter 13, after Lot left him, God turned round to Avram and said, um, All the land that you see, I'm going to give it to you and to your seeds. And tells him, Go throughout the land to its length and width and I'm going to give you it all. In the very next chapter 14, he goes to war and captures large tracts of the land. Does he keep these tracts of land? No. At the end of the war, he's confronted with two kings, Malki Tzedek and Melech Sedom. And Melech Sedom wants to make a pact with him. But Avram sees the evil Melech Sedom. He sees Melech Sedom who's only interested in possessions. And Avram decides that he's got a choice. Either he can hold on to the land, but sort of be involved in the royal culture of, of, of deal-making, or he can put his lot with Malki Tzedek, the king who represents Tzedek, righteousness, who is a monotheist just like him. And Avram's uh, instinct is to go with Malki Tzedek and not to get involved with the evil king of Sodom. However, I think Avram is scared and I think he thinks that maybe he has abrogated his instruction from God. God did tell him, I'm going to give you the land. Wasn't this his opportunity to gain that land, to gain a foothold in that land, to actually be a power player in that land? Avram gave up the opportunity of power because he wanted the purity of monotheism, because he didn't want to get sullied by this situation of associating with Melech Sodom. Did he do the right thing? And I think that's why God comes to him and says, Al-Tira Avram, don't worry, I will protect you just like I did before. It's all going to be okay. To which Avram says, listen God, I thought I had lots, but I've got no one. God doesn't answer him and he repeats it again in Pasuk Gimel. You haven't given me any seed, you've given me no children. And my the, the man of my household is going to inherit me. God responds and says, Eliezer will not inherit you, but rather he who will come from your loins, your own biological son, he will be your inheritor. And now he, he reinforces his statement, this very categorical statement that Avram will have children and takes him outside. He takes him outside, says, Look at the sky, look at the, uh, the heavens. Count the stars in if you can. And he says, This is how your seed will be. And now we say, Avram believed God. There are different ways to read this, but I'll read it. And God saw this as a sign of faith on Avram's part. This is, I have to say, mysterious. 
Avram raises severe doubts whether he'll have a child. God says, you will have a biological child and shows him the stars. What's so special about the stars? What does it mean? And he took him outside. Maybe they could have been talking outside in the first place. Here, uh, we just wonder what it was that God showed him that made him so trusting of God. What was so remarkable about this image of the stars, so much so that the Midrash comes along and says somehow that he wasn't, he said, go outside, means go outside of your rationalism. Avram, you're thinking too rationally, you're thinking on a rational basis, leave your stargazing alone, I am telling you something which is higher than reality, it's higher than the normal way of things. I don't quite know what it was about seeing the stars which convinced Avram, but we're told by the text here, he believed in God, and God saw it as a state of righteousness. But immediately, Avram goes on with the second, or God comes up with a second statement which Avram challenges. God said to him, I am Hashem who brought you out of Ur Kastim. Sounds very much like Anochi Hashem um, This is almost like one of those Ten Commandments moments, just like the Ten Commandments is a covenant. This is a, com- a covenant. Just like in the Ten Commandments there will be fire and uh, cloud. Likewise, here there will be fire and cloud. We will see it. So this is a significant moment because God is now going to outline a covenant with Avraham. And he says, I am the God who brought you out from all custom to give you the land to inherit it, to possess it. And he says, Hashem Elohim. Uh, by the way, using the same phrase that he used about the question of Zerah before he said Hashem Elohim in verse 2. Matitaini, uh, here again he uses this double name for God. Hashem Elohim How do I know I will get this land? Again, Avram is plagued with doubts. Take a three-year-old calf, take a three-year-old goat, take a three-year-old ram, and take also a bird, a dove. And what does he do? He doesn't tell him, God doesn't tell Avram what to do with them. But somehow Avram seems to know. Avram took these animals. These four animals. As regards to the calf and the goat and the ram, he cuts them in two. He slices them up into two parts. He puts the two animals in their two halves facing each other. But he didn't cut the bird. Suddenly the eagle comes down, or the vulture comes down, onto these uh, animal corpses, essentially cut up animals. Avram shoes them away, the sun was setting. Suddenly Avram goes into a deep sleep, a The last time we heard this phrase, it was when Adam went to sleep, and he woke up, and the woman was next to him. So this is a transformational sleep. It's not just a, a shena sleep, it's a tardema, a deep sense of, of sleep. A sense of dread, an intense darkness, 
fell on him. Uh, let's pay attention. He had said to God in verse 8, How will I know that I will inherit it? And now God responds about knowledge. He doesn't answer the question but says, You shall surely know that you will be strangers in your your offspring will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. They will enslave them and oppress them for four hundred years. The nation that you will serve, Dan Anochi, I will judge them. In other words, your oppressors I will punish, and then you will come out with great ruchush, with great wealth. And you, Abraham are going to go to your fathers in peace. You're going to die. The door of the but the fourth generation will return back here. I cannot give the land to your descendants because the sin of the Emirates is not yet full. The sun set. It was getting dark. In the darkness, suddenly a... a an oven of, of smoke, I don't know, a ball of smoke, a lapid ash, and a, a sort of a flame, a torch of fire. We have these cut up animals, and suddenly in the darkness, this ball of smoke and this pillar of fire represent God. Uh, we always know that the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud represent God. Pass through these uh, pieces by Yomahu. Karat Hashem et Avram more. On that day, God made a covenant with Avram, saying, "Lazaracha natati et aretzazot." Not in the future. I have given this land to your offspring. Minahar mitzrayim from the river of Egypt to the river, the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Keni veta Knizi veta Kadmoni veta Chiti veta Prizi veta Rafaim veta Mori veta Kanani veta Gilgashi veet Hayivusi. And he mentions ten nations and promises. Avraham, their land. This is called the Brit Ben Habatarim, the covenant between the pieces, and what exactly is happening here. We understand Avraham's doubts, but we don't understand what exactly is this cutting up of animals. What is it that three animals he cuts and the fourth he doesn't cut? And what exactly is the nature of this promise? And why is this such a dark scene? Why does Avraham have to be sent to sleep and Dread a macha shechag dolano felatalav. What 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 is happening? This sense of darkness and dread, which uh, permeates this scene. So first, let me say that a covenant, uh, frequently in ancient societies, and Nachum Sarna in his wonderful book, uh, Understanding Genesis, talks about this idea that in ancient societies, frequently people who were making a covenant would cut up an animal and actually walk between the pieces. Almost to say, if we break this covenant, if we break this agreement, and I should say that a covenant is a much stronger form than just a, a promise or a, or a prophecy. A covenant is like a, a contract, a treaty. And the idea here is that you cut an animal in half and you say, if either of us break the terms of this treaty, then this should happen to us. Or, or maybe slightly put differently, as we are one living, breathing person, right? We will keep this. These animals who we're walking between cannot uh, fulfil their obligations. 
So uh, what's interesting here, of course, is that Avram doesn't pass between the pieces, only God. And this is a covenant which God makes to Avraham. Uh, in a sense, nothing is demanded of Avraham, although we'll see it really is. So uh, God here is responding to Avraham's doubts and Avraham fears. And he seems to be taking the promises which are seen at the beginning of Lech Lecha and at the end of chapter 13 and taking them up to a new level, promising in a far more concrete form, in the form of a Brit. So that, that's, that's being answered here, but what, what is all this fear? What are these three cut animals, etc.? And I think it's quite clear that God is promising that your, your, your seed, your, your offspring, are going to be strangers in a land of, which, is, which is not theirs, They'll be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. 400 years is a huge amount of time. In other words, I'll put it very simply. God is telling Avraham, you know, you, and, and you think that the promises I've made are going to be fulfilled now? Do you think the promises I've told you are going to be fulfilled in your lifetime? When I said, I didn't mean now. I meant it in a long time, in 400 years, in a time beyond what you can even even imagine. And certainly, at the very least, it'll be in the fourth generation. He even tells Avram here, you're going to die, you're going to live a nice, a nice long life, you'll die peacefully, the fourth generation will come here. The three cut animals represent three generations of suffering. The fourth generation is the bird, the bird which is not cut, the bird which reminds us of a bird which flies free. And this is the fourth generation which will come back to Eretz Yisrael to inherit. I'm even going to connect this to how I began with explaining the background in chapter 14 and say this. Avram actually had a choice. Avram could have somehow got involved in the local politics and started already the process of inheriting the land now. He could have taken the land and said to king of Sodom, I'm taking the land, this is my land, and started building a, uh, you know, some sort of land holding in the land of Israel. He chose not to, because he chose to keep himself morally pure. I'm not judging whether that was a good decision or that was a bad decision, but God is saying, I'll protect you. You've got great reward. I think you're wonderful, Avram. But, Avram, you just chose to let this wait a while. You just chose to take the moral high ground, but there's a, so to speak, a price to be paid for that is, you're not, if you're not going to get involved in the local politics, what's going to happen is, things are going to have to play themselves out. And you're going to have to wait 400 years. And waiting 400 means, years means that you're always going to be strangers. And strangers wanderers minority groups frequently become victims and therefore what god is actually and maybe now we understand the darkness and the fear and the dread because avram went on this mission thinking that god was going to make him great and make him into a great nation and bless him and god didn't necessarily give him an indication that this wasn't going to happen immediately he believed in God, but I'm not sure that Avram quite realized what a long haul this is. 
And suddenly here in the Brit Ben Abitarim, um, God is reaffirming that the land will come to the Jewish people, the land of ten different nations, the the uh, Kini and the Knizi and the Kadmoni and the Chiti, Prizi and the Rafaim, the Amori and the Kalani and the Gilgashi and the Yerusi. But he's saying it will only happen long into the future. And until that point, uh, you are going to be strangers in a land which is not yours. What is the upshot of all of this? It's it's quite powerful. God's telling him that the people who are suffer, who will suffer aren't necessarily going to get the land. And those who get the land aren't going to suffer. Avram's not going to see this fulfillment. And maybe the three generations really do correspond to Avram, Yitzchak and Yaakov. And then, of course, the sons of, of, of Yaakov, who form a family. But we know that they too don't get the land. And it will only be a fourth generation much later in the future uh, who will actually inherit the land. This suddenly brings in a much deeper theme, which is the theme of continuity, which is the understanding that Avram is going to have to build a covenant and pass something onto his child and his child to his child. This is a child which Avram doesn't have yet, but Avram is going to have to plan in order that these promises which God had made are not going to happen in his lifetime, but in the lifetime of the people who come many, many generations afterwards. And uh, here I'll end with the words of uh, Leon Cass in his uh, powerful book, The Beginning of Wisdom, a book on Breshit. And he says, uh, he says the following, uh, and I'm, I'm quoting. Um, By forcing Avram to live through in advance the enslavement of his people, God compels him to think in terms of the distant future and the fate of his remote descendants. In response to Avraham's pre Avram's preoccupation with the present personal rewards, God's speech directs him to care ardently for those nearby, but always in the light and for the sake of the future. The heroic expectation of future fame and glory, the typical aspiration of conquering heroes, is sharply undermined. Avram's great name will be won, if at all, in a different and God-fearing way. Indeed, Avram's fame and the rest of God's promise will not be so much won as bestowed a gift of, God, of divine providence to which the Lord himself pledges unconditionally. Hearing God's eerie speech as he slept deeply in the gloomy darkness amidst the cleaved animals between whose parts travel a mysterious smoking furnace and flaming torch, Avram keeps awestruck silence. Avram experiences here for the first time the fear of the Lord. And I think that this is uh, fascinating to think that until now, Avram has followed God with a sense of Ahava, but maybe this is the first time that Avram experiences a sense of Yira. Indeed, this is a really an awesome moment because it outlines the future trajectory, essentially, of the rest of the Hamisha Chumshei Torah, the notion of the slavery in Egypt and the redemption from it, and the wait until we get to the Promised Land. God has outlined the plan but this is certainly not what Avram expected. And now we understand that Avram is going to still have a much longer journey in order to establish the foundations of the nation which he intends to found. Uh, that's enough for today. I wish everybody a really good day. And uh, we'll meet again tomorrow to learn about chapter 16, the story of Hagar um, and uh, her interaction 
with Avram and Sarai.